Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Sunny Mary Meadow podcast. I am your host, Liz Fiddler. And today we have a guest coming on talking about cover crops in flower farming and growing your cut flowers. So you can also utilize this with home gardening or veggie gardening. So I think it's going to be a pretty useful and exciting episode. So Colin, can you please go ahead and introduce yourself? Thank you, Liz. My name is Colin Geppert. I grew up in uh, Kimball, South Dakota, which is just an hour west of Mitchell, South Dakota. Um, My parents are on the farm on a cow-calf operation where they raise commercial Angus and Metal cattle, corn, soybeans, wheat, rye, oats, forages, and cover crops for grazing. Some of the reasons why I am super passionate about the soil health and cover crop side of things is that my parents have been no-till on their farm for about uh, 30 years. And so being able to understand why we were doing that is basically the number one reason was we were trying to conserve moisture. Before my dad was no-till, we'd always work our ground in the in the springtime, and then we'd plant our crops. And then about a month, month and a half later, we would never get any moisture. And then our crop yields weren't as great as we'd like. And so we reduced doing tillage and no-till. And so we really saw the benefits of the flourish of the health of the the plant, as well as, you know, being able to have a good yield at the end of the year. And so with that, we would always plant wheat and we would always combine it. And then we'd never put anything into it. I remember the first time we ever put cover crops in was in 2005, I think, and my parents did turnips, radishes, and rapeseed. And it was uh, something that I didn't know what it was. And and I asked, why are we planting this? And my parents just said, because we're feeding our cattle longer out on the pasture. We're not going to be able to feed them with a hay bale or anything like that. It's cheaper and more economical and, and more profitable doing that. And so that's how I kind of started learning about cover crops. Didn't know the soil health aspect of it until later. And actually, funny story, I think I was a sophomore or junior in high school, and I wrote, and I I did public speaking for FFA, and I do not remember doing this speech, but I did a speech about cover crops. Well, there you go. Is it the extemporaneous speaking? Is that what it's called? Where they give you a topic Uh, and you got to talk about it? Or which one was it? So I did prepared. So I did a prepared public speaking. I wasn't too spontaneous on that. (laughs) Um, But that's kind of how I started. And then went to college at SDSU, uh, went college with your uh, brother-in-law and your uh, sister and was on a lot of judging teams and was wanting to do something in in forages and cover crops and ended up working for Millborn Seeds. And so that was a really good experience. And so now I'm, I'm done with that and on to the next journey. But within that, that's really uh, why I am cover crop calling. So a little bit about flower farming in general, and maybe you're like, what the heck is this really farming or what is this? But it is this huge boom. I mean, obviously I have a whole podcast about it. I think last year, I mean, just me alone on my tiny little space of Instagram, I did a poll and I had over 240 respondents saying, you know, they wanted to become flower farmers and, you know, maybe they have an acreage in the country because you really only need half an acre to have a very, very, very profitable crop, right? So you can grow on pretty small spaces and make a pretty decent living depending on, you know, what you're trying to do. And so then, you know, of those 240 some 
71% of respondents said that they wanted this to be their full-time job and replace their full-time income, not just not yeah. just be, you know, a side hustle or something that allows them to have extra money on the side, but they're like, no, I want to quit my job and make enough mm -hmm. money to do this instead. And I have learned from growing my farm, obviously the amount of land that I grow on has expanded, but being able to rotate those crops. And so that's why I sent you that episode, how I grow so many crops on less than a third of an acre of land. Yeah. And it's a lot of the sunflowers, for example, are a 60 day day to maturity or, you know, mm -hmm. there, there's spaces that I grow on that by mid July, late July, that space is done. Well, mm -hmm. you have something there, it's going to get overtaken by weeds and trying to explain. And I get so many emails from mostly women. Uh, there, there are men that flower farm too, but mostly women that say, you know, I'm fighting with my husband about how to keep up on the weeds or whatever, because they're a traditional crop farmer and they spray. And well, mm -hmm. you can't spray all these different flowers and, you know, try to get the weed control. And so, I mean, cover crops for so many reasons are just getting that nutrients back into the soil and just maintaining the land and the moisture for so many reasons. But what I wanted to have you on is we'll talk about a couple things, but so like my high tunnels that I grow in, Yes. I love to be able to get something in there once the tulips are done or once the ranunculus are done, say mid-July, but then I need that space again by the beginning of October, you know? So if that tunnel is 16 by 50, what can I grow in there? I have a John Deere tractor, like a, a small, you know, garden tractor. Yep. I've got a lawn seeder. I've probably got more equipment than most flower farmers. Most flower farmers yep. probably have rakes and you yeah. know is at their disposal but it can be done by hand you could hand seed an area that small but what types of cover crops would you recommend using on those small scale areas or yeah. that planted later or maybe early spring still or mm -hmm. again in July and have it be done by October you know I think maybe we should like back up just a pinch and just kind of say what is a cover crop yes you know yes. And, good and, idea so <laughs> You know, so when it comes to a cover crop, a cover crop is a crop grown for the protection or the enrichment of the soil. And I'll kind of talk about it in a, in between two cash crops in some ways. And so your example of like when you need it, when you're done with your high tunnels in mid-July and then you need it in mid-October, those are two cash crops that you're planting between either side. And so in between there is something that we need to be planting to be able to maybe protect the soil in some ways. And so, you know, the whole reason why cover crops are becoming a little bit more popular is just because we see that the soil is a product or is a, a living body that if we have it leach away or wash away with either soil erosion or wind erosion or water erosion, you know, that is hundreds and hundreds and thousands of thousands of dollars that's just going away and you can't get it back. And so if we can be able to reduce the amount of soil loss that we can by putting a cover crop in, that's going to be positive for everybody, your operation, the environment, and everybody involved. And so there's a lot of different ways of thinking about that, but there's about five or six principles when it comes to soil health and cover crops. One of them is basically kind of what you mentioned, you know, like uh there's a lot of conventional side of, of farming on the, you know, the bigger scale, thousands of acres or a couple hundred acres where, 
you know, we do want to work that ground. That's what we have known. And so that's what they've always done. And so is there something different? I kind of relate it back to my parents' farm in the sense of the five principles or six principles of soil health is, you know, soil cover, keeping some armor on your top of your soil, how that could be just regular stubble residue. That could be oats, that could be rye, a lot of those things. You would want to limit disturbance. So if you want to do more of a no-till situation, you know, you don't work up that ground. Diversity is another one. So when we think about cover crops, we can think about maybe one or two thick species, but we know that with more diversity in your cover crop, the more resilient your soils are. And so the more diverse soils or the more diverse cover crops, the more resilient your soil is, the more drought tolerant your soil is, the more increased your organic matter is, the, the microbial activity is so much higher because of diversity. Then we have a living root. You mentioned you want, you're wanting to plant something in the spring, harvest it in mid-July, have about 40, you have about 65 days of window that you can be able to plant in, or you want, you have just an empty and then you're planting something in October. Keeping a living root in your soil as long as, long as possible keeps that soil alive. And then the the last one um, that you would kind of really think about is livestock integration. Now it's kind of hard to maybe get that within uh, you know uh, cut flower farms, but way I think about it is thinking about what plants can we incorporate to get pollinators coming in. You know, mm-hmm. can we use buckwheat? Can we use fava bean? Can we use oats? You know, what are things that we can do to attract different types of animals in some ways? And then the sixth one, which is kind of newer, is just context. You know, you're by St. Cloud, Minnesota. There's probably somebody, you know, over by, you know, Sioux Falls, South Dakota that wants to do it. The environment's just a pinch different. And so what you exactly do on your farm may not be you know, what can works on her farm, but the concepts of the principles are the same when it comes to soil health. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what cover crops really all come together. Being able to plant early maturing plants within a 60 day window, I would say we could do like oats or barley. Those are cool season annual forages. They do like the cooler weather, you know, in the sense of the, the cooler soil temperatures, but we don't really need a ton of growth to make that cover crop really grow well. We can co- could incorporate turnips and radishes, which are brassicas. They're the ones that alleviate compaction. One thing that I think in between that window of uh, mid-July to mid-October, you could is planting buckwheat on those acres. Because buckwheat is very early maturing. And you could be able to get something up and growing and flowering and bringing phosphorus into the soil very well and very easily. And then you would be able to clip that buckwheat off and then plant something into that area Mm mid-October. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and I am going to tell you all about my other podcast, Bloom and Grow with Liz Fiddler. In the early days of the Sunny Mary Meadow podcast, we had bonus Bloom and Grow episodes where I shared some personal insights in my experience with love and loss and grief. And ultimately, we decided it needed its own podcast. So you can click the link in the episode, this very episode, and hit the subscribe button so that you get alerts when new episodes come out. The Bloom and Grow podcast with Liz Fiddler is where we share stories of those who have grown through grief and break down barriers that isolate us in those challenging parts of our lives. We know that time doesn't heal, but intention does. 
and the weight of grief doesn't get any lighter, but we can get better at carrying it. This podcast isn't just for those going through something sad or difficult, but also for those who know someone who is by sharing tips and perspectives in how to be a better support for your loved ones that are grieving. If you're interested in hearing more, click the link in this episode's notes so that you can subscribe and check it out. And thank you so much for blooming and growing with us. So I have a plant, it's called ranunculus that I grow inside my high tunnels. So what I use my high tunnels for here in Minnesota, zone 4B is season extension because we don't have a long enough well, I don't know. This year's weird. Like, yes. <laughs> we barely yeah. even got a frost at this point and it's yeah. almost January. So this has been a weird year, but typically, you know, our, from first, you know, we usually have about May 15th till September 20th, you know, for mm-hmm. animals, for those, those plants that cannot tolerate a frost. And so like ranunculus, for example, is a crop that, so I'm experimenting with overwintering them right now. I have a low tunnel inside of my high tunnel, but yep. the jury's out on that, whether or not it's going to work. Otherwise, last year around May or March 1st, when the soil was thawed inside of my tunnel, and for those that are listening that don't know what a tunnel is, it's essentially, it's a structure such a, it looks like a greenhouse, but there isn't a heater. So the heat source is essentially the sun and you cool it off by opening up the sides during the day because it can get very warm in there, but it, it has not frozen inside of there yet. And I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't where the ranunculus mm-hmm. are. Now I have two tunnels that are 50 feet long. One has tulips in it. And I have those sides wide open because I'm trying to keep it as cool in there as possible because it's been so warm out and I don't want my tulips thinking it's spring. Whereas the ranunculus, I'm keeping those sides completely down. And if it gets to be hundred degrees on a sunny day, it's fine because they're only you know really tiny. So mm-hmm. I will transplant out there another set of ranunculus if the ones I have right now don't survive, which that's kind of what I'm banking on. Let's let's be honest, but it's it's an experiment. And then by then I let them go dormant and they are done by about the 4th of July. And those ranunculus, they come in a corm that you dig up, you let them dry up naturally, and then you can dig it up and save them. Some people just buy new ones every year. That's one that to me... When it comes to my flower farming, I really don't save seeds. I really don't save a lot of things because it's just not worth my time and the volume that I do to pay employees to do that. Sometimes it's cheaper just to buy new, but with the ranunculus, it's definitely cheaper to spend six hours digging them up and be done with it and replant them either in the fall or in the spring. And so if I'm done by July, um, 4th of July, I get those dug up when they've, you know, kind of died back naturally say it's July 10th when I could plant this cover crop. So, you know, I would go ahead and just seed the entire tunnel there. I have my drip lines in there, but honestly, it probably would just take a little bit of overhead watering to start yeah, with, get the, soil, get the soil moist and then throw the seeds on top, probably. Like I probably don't need to even water them the way I do to get them to mm-hmm. germinate, you know, other flowers. And then maybe just my drip lines once in a while, keep the cover crop alive. I'm guessing it's, I'm guessing it's pretty easy to grow and has kind of a will to live and a little drought tolerant. Yeah. Like I would say, you know, if I I don't know what, what kind of cover crops do you use then in July? Honestly, inside my tunnel, I have yet to do it because I'm, I'm still figuring out my succession, my rotation. I've yet to, I've pretty much just let that sit dormant. I've, I've not been utilizing a cover crop. So that's why 
That's why I want to have you on here. This yeah. is not just a, yeah. oh, let's inform them. Like, I want to learn too. Because my high tunnels are new to me this year. So that's been, yep. you know, I to really rotate that. And I haven't allowed, you know, in the middle of the season, I mean, when my sunflowers are done blooming, I plant new ones right there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in the fall, I do a lot of compost, but I've not been really using cover crops yet. My compost is a ton of leaves, grass clippings, and a lot of chicken poop. So that's mm-hmm. what my compost is in the fall. And then I work that in. And then I have a compost pile. I'm fortunate to have a pretty big cement slab that I can just keep adding and stirring mm-hmm. and weekly stir my compost pile. So I make my own compost. A lot of people get it trucked in, you know, truck loads of it in. But then in the fall, so say October, I'm going to go and plant my, either plant more ranunculus in there and try to overwinter them or dig my trenches and do tulips, I still mm-hmm. want that soil to get some nutrients because right now I'm spraying fish emulsion and I'm adding nutrients back into it and I'm trying to add mm-hmm. in compost and it's like a cover crop could be so beneficial in skipping all of those steps and just probably a way healthier and more cost-effective way to do it. So then is that cover crop, do you kill it off with like some plastic tarps or what, yep. what, what would be done next? So there's a few different ways of how you could go about it. If we're kind of in between, if we're talking about this uh, rotation of having, wanting to plant a cover crop July 15th and being done October 15th, you know, there's a lot of growing degree days, you know, available. And so, and most of the time, that time is like when we're planting annuals. So we're planting the oats and barley and radishes and buckwheat and all those things. And so there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can terminate it. You know, for one, you could simply just clip it. You could clip mm-hmm. it and then put that re- and have that residue just stay on that soil. And mm-hmm. then you could just have it that way. Most of the time that would be able to get a lot of it killed and, and just uh, terminated, but there is going to be some type of regrowth. And so I have seen um, and talked to a few people that have big vegetable no-till farms that also have some cut flowers and they are, they are using a, a silage tarp or just a big black tarp and putting it over that bed for about two weeks and then it completely kills that off. Mm -hmm. And then that residue is all brown there. Mm -hmm. And then they take the shovel and they take that, they just go into the soil, they open it up, they put their bulb or whatever their plant is that they need to it. And then they put it back and then they're not disturbing the soil. So I've seen that happen. I think you could do that with, with winter annuals as well. We talk about cover crops. There's about three different types of seasons is how I kind of say it. So there's winter annuals, which is like when you think about like winter wheat, winter rye, winter triticale, winter barley, all those things can be planted in the fall. They can sprout or just like merge. And then they can go through this cold period and that's called vernalization. And then once in a vernalization is a, a cold period for about, I think, 30 to 30 to 40 days. And then it can start war- um, getting warm again. And then as it in the warm again, that'd be like springtime. And then once springtime happens and it starts elongating, giving you a lot of yield, a lot of height. And so you have some body armor, you know, soil armor on your, on your soil, you're, you know, keeping that soil alive all year long, but then how you could terminate that is you could clip that off and tarp it for about two weeks and then plant something into it. So then you'd be probably that May 15 timeframe. The second type of cover crop is cool season annuals. And so that would be planting in the springtime 
uh, when the soil temperatures are 40, 50 degrees, and then they'll probably pretty much be done 60 to 70 days later. They would be fully mature. That's why, you know, my suggestion potentially would be oats and barley in a small window if you don't want to get like super, super tall yield. Flax, oats, clovers, let's see, phacelia. There's a lot of different types of products that are, uh, you know, cover crops that would grow during that time of the year. And then there's warm season annuals, which is like corn is a warm season grass. It mm-hmm. loves the heat. So that sorghum sedan, millets, peas or cow peas, uh, fava beans, soybeans, all those get really tall and are more on the production agriculture side. But if your goal is to make a very as tall of cover crop as you want, then I would suggest sorghum sedan grass or some millet on those pieces of land mm-hmm. to help you. And so winter annuals, cool season annuals, and warm season annuals are really good for the timing. And then I guess the species of cover crops, there's four different species. There's grasses, which is oats and sorghum sedan grass. There's brassicas, which is uh, turnips and radishes, hybrid brassicas, kale, there is going to be legumes, and so that's going to be clovers and soybeans and cowpeas, and those are going to be fixating nitrogen for you guys. And then there's forbs, and so forbs are like the sunflowers, the buckwheat, the flax. So those are the four different types of cover crops. Okay, we're going to pause this episode. I want you, when I'm done talking, don't hit pause right now because you won't know what to do. But as soon as I'm done talking, I want you to hit pause and I want you to go into this episode and I would love if you would rate this show with a five-star rating because that is how podcasts are successful. The algorithm, what the, you know, wherever you listen, the platform of maybe it's Spotify, maybe it's Apple, maybe it's Amazon, they can keep track of what episodes have a lot of downloads. And that's where, you know, if some people are liking it, they assume other people are going to like it because they want people using their streaming service. So if you are enjoying this, go and rate us, please, please, please. Shows with a higher rating get pushed out more because they think, well, if these people like it, other people will like it. Plus, if you're looking for a show to listen to and you're like, oh, well, it has four two-star ratings. I don't think I'm going to do that one. But if it has a hundred five-star ratings, yeah, more likelihood of listening. So it would really mean a lot to us if you could just hit pause, go and give us a rating, and then come back and finish listening. Thank you so much. So I think, you know, where I'm at, you know, we talked about my high tunnel. My, I call it my U-pick section. So down, down below at my meadow, I say less than a third an acre. I mean actual disturbed soil. It's definitely Mm -hmm. bigger than that because I've got six feet of grass in between every single row. Like it's an entire acre area and it's agritourism. It's, you know, that's, that's really what this is, is, you know, people come and they pick their own flowers, harvest their own Saturday mornings. We have a hundred people here picking flowers every morning. So Mm -hmm. rotating all of those crops, you know, it, it is a lot of timing and it's a lot of, you know, trying to decide how to keep it looking nice. And I really think, you know, so there are some cool hardy annuals that I plant. I meant to get them done this fall. I definitely would have had time with the nice, beautiful fall we had, but I'm just rolling the dice and hoping we have an early spring. Unlike last year where we had snow yeah. until end of April, but my plan is so like Bupleurum or Laya, Nigella, 
some of those flowers that they really do germinate when the soil is barely thawed. Like they, they mm-hmm. germinate pretty early and they're done blooming by June. And so when those rows are finished last year, I just kind of let them go to seed, go to weeds. We called them our native grasses section. And people were like, yep. oh, this is so pretty. I'm like, yeah, it's frosted explosion. And really it's just grass that went to yep. seed. It looked nice. It was, you know, but trying to figure out, okay, do I, do I want to throw another, you know, do I just having those rotation of those 19 rows is definitely in my plan that, you know, even though I love when people walk down and that very first row they see is full bloom, something like zinnias, that's going to be blooming from literally July 1st till the end of September. Like people want to see flowers. They want to see flowers at a flower farm, but rotating those and then keeping in mind that, you know, say maybe my dahlias, I don't plant them until May 20th when they're a little bit warmer. And those are Mm -hmm. a tour that I dig up. You know, that's definitely something that I could plant a cover crop in the fall, knowing that I'm not going to need that space until, until May 20th. And that's something that also too, you know, I like to just dig a narrow trench and just minimal disturbance. I don't need, I don't need that entire row dug up. I just Mm -hmm. need a little spot for those tubers. How long before true? I mean, I understand there's a, there's a frost in the air, but how long before you know, how many weeks am I working with on a typical year? Not this year, because this year was weird, but in the fall. Yeah. So if I, with the plan yeah. of not needing that space until May 15th, would you need to get them in the ground by September 15th? Or could you still plant it beginning of October or how many weeks yeah, that's a great question. are you going to need? Yeah, that's a great question. So when it comes to winter annuals specifically, there's three winter annuals that are really common within cover crops. And it would be cereal rye, winter shirtikale, and then forage winter wheat. And of all three of those, the most winter hardy and the one in the the one that you can go the furthest into December or into the new almost into the new year would be cereal rye. Cereal rye is a is very very hardy. All it needs to do is swell. And so I've seen people plant cover crop and cereal rye from, you know, August, September, October, into the, even almost into Thanksgiving, um, into in South Dakota, in South Dakota, I would say Minnesota. I have seen people yeah. in this year's anomaly, anomaly, yeah. Uh, yeah. but yes, you can do that. But the one thing you have to consider on the cereal rye is that it, it grows so aggressively. And so you have to make sure that in the first part of May, if it is maybe ankle high, that it's probably time to get that clipped off and then tarp it. Yep. Okay. The reasons why is because it just will grow so much and it will take a lot of nutrients away from that plant in that flower. And so you just have to be cognizant. It's all about management. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, if you wanted to wait a little bit, if you wanted to have a plant that wasn't as aggressive, then I think triticale and forage winter wheat are two really good options. They're Mm -hmm. not as aggressive of taking nutrients and water from that soil they grow a little bit slower. So rye breaks dormancy the earliest of all winter annuals. And so you may have knee-high rye May 15th very easily, which that may be too much height for you in mm-hmm. some in some instances. So the triticale and forage winter wheat would only be probably half the size in May 15th if you'd plant it, you know, let's just say October 15th. So those are ways you can kind of combat the cover crop on the winter annual side. But the one thing I maybe would almost suggest is that if you could potentially do oats or, 
you know, peas or something like that in the springtime and plant that maybe let's just say April 15th and give yourself 45 days of growth. And that would mm -hmm. only give you a, a little bit of height, but it would help fixate some nitrogen. It would give you some soil armor. You know, mm -hmm. it would, it would do well for your soil. Yeah. And I would say of the rows down there, probably five or six of them. And again, these are six feet by 60 and I can get about at nine inch spacing. I get about 400 plants per row, depending on how close I put them together, you know, what the spacing is, but some of them like the next round, maybe I don't start them till June 1st. They do, you know, we say like zinnias bloom continuously and the more you cut them, the more they keep producing, but they get kind of tired. So we do a second round, like Mm -hmm. Tenth or whatever it might be. And so just mm -hmm. rotating those. So that would be a thought too, is at least then, you know, just let that, let that cover crop sit there until, until it needs to be. And then yeah, cut it down with the mower and. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there was a cover crop blend called the ranch hand. That was a 10 way cover crop species blend. And it had sorghum sedan grass, some racks of uh, turnips, a Winford brassica, a millet, oats, common vetch, and a sunflower in it. And mm -hmm. it's the most, it's a really pretty, it's a really pretty and diverse mix. And uh, honestly, this is an opportunity maybe for you is like, that would be, you know, uh, you like a you pick area, mm -hmm. like that would be a very cool place to, you know, pick because I have a picture, I'll maybe send it to you that my yeah. wife uh, picked cover crop okay mm -hmm. and gave it to my uh, mom and my grandma and yeah. it's pretty well and that's exactly it is you need those textures you need those grasses it's just kind of funny because I have about 40 acres and we've got you know we've got woods we've got kind of a we've got like five acres of swamp I've got a couple acres of woods I've got a couple acres of you know the tree line I have a lot of you know goldenrod I have a lot mm -hmm. of you know black-eyed Susans I have a lot of wildflowers and different you know, fillers at my disposal, you know, people, well, where do you, you know, people see pictures of some of them. And they're like, well, where do you get some of those green ones? I'm like in my ditch, in my, you know, like I don't, yeah. so many things It's you don't have to grow everything. And if they can be used and repurposed and, you know, if, if the cover crop could be something with a long base life, you just need some greenery in there. You just need some filler in yep. there. If it can be something from the cover crop, more power to it. Yep. Yeah. Whatever you see, you know, mm -hmm. it's, you get to choose if you like it or you don't. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. I mean, maybe a bouquet of it on its own, eh, but you know, I'm just, yep. here's some, here's some wheat or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, some people, but yep. what are some resources that you can think of, or, you know, are there any like social media profiles or websites or where, where are some resources that, and I can include those in the episode notes, but you know, someone, you know, a small scale, flower farmer who's just trying to get into this, you know, what, mm -hmm. what would be some places to look up some references? So I would say that the local NRCS office is a really good place to first start. They'll be very open and willing to talk about um, cover crops. Mm -hmm. I would say Minnesota Soil Health Coalition and South Dakota Soil Health Coalition are, are two, one of the first kind of coalitions to talk about cover crops and soil mm -hmm. health. You know, I think there are, man, there's you know, a lot of different regenerative ag podcasts that are willing to talk about that. I know there's some, like, there's a, there's one that's called no-till flower farming, Like that's yep. really what I called, you know, and I think, you know, for me, sometimes it's this all or none thing, or, you know, when you said like, well, what cover crops do you do? None yet. Like I'm, I'm literally, I'm to the point where with my flower farm, 
I have sold every single stem. I have had to just grow and grow and grow as many flowers as I can get on the space that I'm growing on that now it's like, okay, time to take a deep breath and step back. And now it's, I, I need to take better care of my soil or I'm not going to have a farm in five years. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, well, I will, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's okay. I, I need the opportunity to, you know, there's a better way to do things, mm-hmm. but I've just been doing all I can with the resources I have available, you know, yeah. and I think that's okay. I'm not ashamed that I haven't used cover crops, but I'm sure there's like some cover crop judge people are listening to me and oh my God, who is she to talk about cover crops? I don't know. I'm a regular person who's trying to learn how to do better. I don't know. And so I think it's, you know, it's one of those things where for me to go into an NRCS office, I'm, I'm not a shy person. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not whatever. I'll walk in and I'll be totally honest and I'm not afraid to look stupid. And I'm just going to ask the questions. Whereas I think some people might get a little intimidated because they don't know what to ask or they don't know what to say. So I hope this episode at least gives them, you know, like, Hey, what is a cover crop? It's a crop in between two cash crops to keep your soil healthy. That's all it is. It's for protection. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Well, that's what it is. That's not that intimidating. Yeah, you know. I would. I completely agree with you, Liz. The one thing that I really like, and and so the soil health cover crop regenerative egg kind of movement is really growing, and it's really exciting to see that you know people who are wanting to get into the space. And I will completely agree with you is that there's some people that are a just caught like they they're too proud to ask a question but as well as that they're just they don't feel that they don't know even what to ask exactly you don't know what you don't know and they don't know what they don't know and so I will say that the the coalitions there's conventions when it comes to soil health and cover crops that those are the most willing people to ask and help you out Mm-hmm. And that's where I, that's what I really, really like about this type of agriculture is that they're very willing to get you to a specific, you know, goal. Like what's your, what's your goals? Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is your goal. This yep. is what I have done and have success with and have, have done well with. Yep. And this is also what I've not done well with. Yep. And so please learn from my mistakes. Yeah. And that's what I really like about this, uh, this type of community and anybody would be very willing to help out when it comes to cover crops. I would be very willing. I guess I'm on uh, Twitter, a cover crop column. Perfect. So you can, uh, you can definitely I'll include that in the show notes, everyone, you can click on there. Yeah. You can uh, reach out to me. I'd be very willing to help out and, uh, answer any questions that you may have. It's something I'm very passionate about. I really like talking about it. And I hope that I can be an avenue and be a light of advice. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was really fun. We'll probably have to have you back again. I think there's a lot. There's a, We could definitely dig deeper. Get that? See what I did there? So, yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much for being here. And yeah, thanks for listening to another episode of the Sunny Mary Meadow Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Sunny Mary Meadow Podcast. I'm your host, Liz. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and rate us. You can find us on Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook at Sunny Mary Meadow. Subscribe to our email newsletter at sunnymarymeadow.com. And if you have questions or comments or anything to say, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at sunnymarymeadow.com. Flowers, flowers, we love flowers. Sunny Mary Meadow, they smell so good. Sunnymarymeadow.com. <laughs>